Well, good morning. So, not so often that I get the joy, privilege of uh, being able to preach, uh, but certainly a welcomed opportunity and one that I uh, look forward to. And so grateful for the privilege of looking into God's Word this week. And I hope you've been in God's Word as well this week. Uh, it is our resource. It's, it's what helps us to become fueled for the life of service that God has called us uh, to be part of. We're going to be continuing in uh, our series about contagious joy, and uh, in particular, we are this week into chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first uh, nine verses. Um, it's, a very, uh, it's, it's a very difficult task, only because we have yet to see the ramp up to it. Uh, we're reserving the latter part of chapter 3 for Pastor Jody Cross when he gets here. Uh, he has asked for that passage, so uh, we have acquiesced. And, uh, but it's with joy that we're able to talk about chapter 4, stealing just a little bit um, from chapter 3. Let's uh, honor God today by reading the chapter. Will you stand with me as we read this chapter together? Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help those, these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We open it every time and we expect that you will feed us and you never disappoint us. Father, we disappoint ourselves because often we approach your word unprepared to receive. But I pray even in this moment, Lord, as we prepare to hear your word pro proclaimed through your servant, we, we ask you, Father, that you would clear away all of the distractions, all of the things that would keep us from hearing your voice in this passage so that at the end of the day, when the lights go off and we go home, we are able to say clearly, today I heard, I heard the word of God today. I heard the voice of God speak to me through the word of God. Father, we need to be changed. We know that. We're not ready. We're not as we should be. And, and this time of waiting is strategic. We know you're preparing us for the days ahead. So, Father, we ask you that you'll equip us again further today. Make it palpable and reasonable and understandable to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It was July 10th, 1940, and Winston Churchill gets behind 
the microphone to address his nation. And he says these famous words, We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Of course, these are famous words now on the uh, eve of a tremendous assault upon Britain that would call every man, woman, and child to band together to be a nation. And in a lot of ways, this defined their nation and their, the becoming of uh, the nation that would uh, would indeed prevail and stand together. Standing together is really hard. I mean, look at us right now. We're in this COVID era where, I mean, we can't even get together, no less stand together. And lots of precautions, lots of things that, that keep us apart. And there's, there's a part of our mentality that, that uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm shopping and I can't stand in proximity, well, I'm okay with that. But there's just something that's wrong about us, our inabilities to be as we should be. I mean, togetherness doesn't really look like this. Uh, we're almost resistant to say, well, this is what our church is because this is not really what our church is. Uh, it's so much more than this and, and we show out our togetherness in so many different kinds of ways. And so this COVID situation has been very, very difficult for us. But we do want to tell the world this is who we are. We do want to pull that passport of our citizenship and say this is who we are. And in the latter part of chapter 3, which... Uh, Pastor Jody will, will go through uh, with us in detail. We are, we are called to diff be different than, than the earthly that we are. Uh, we're called to press on, to be part of something bigger than ourselves because that's who God has made us. We are to press on and uh, toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. So we become something entirely different than the world has to offer. So when you say, well, you can't get together here, okay, that's fine. But when you, can't say, when you say you can't get together at the church, it's something entirely different. You see, when God saved you, he made you into something very special and he gave you a heart to be with other people. We might not always get along, as we'll find in this chapter, but we're meant to be together. There's no doubt about it. It just takes a little while for us to understand that. Uh, right now, on uh, a report from Base Borden, is, uh, there's a, a basic training group that's come in. Usually that takes place in Saint-Jean-Quebec, but uh, now it's at Base Borden. And uh, recruits from all around the country have come to become soldiers. And they, they really do a, a lot of mind games with them. You know, they don't even give them a uniform. You'd think that would be like, kind of the first thing is get them all looking the same. But they don't even give them a uniform because in, in, the, in the eyes of the military, you need to earn that uniform. You need to prove that this is where you should be. So they, they go through this period of indoctrination uh, where they remind them that, oh, by the way, uh, you checked yourself at the door. You become part of a cohesive unit. You, you're no longer about you. You're now about others. And, uh, you know, not individuality, but team, team, team is the, the voice that plays. And so you might have thought that uh, as a soldier, you need to rely upon yourself. No longer. You need to rely upon your platoon. You need to be able to take orders and do what you're told for the good of the call and for the good of the responsibility with the others firmly set in mind. And the, the proof of your citizenship, the proof of your belonging will be when you understand this and you accept that and then we will give you a uniform. And it's amazing to see the recruits now wearing the uniform and it changes people. It gives you a mindset of belonging, of being together. And um, 
It really calls us to say, okay, well, what is the mark of our citizenship here uh, as a church? What is that identifier? And Paul sees it as being absolutely imperative for us not to miss the fact that our togetherness is a big deal. Togetherness is a big deal. He begins here by talking about how we declare it. We declare our citizenship by standing together. Standing together. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, essentially, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in this way, in the Lord. Because of all that God has done for you, because of all that Christ has done for you by making you into this amazing thing called the church, you need to stand there for. And I, I just absolutely love how Paul lets it go and opens up his heart and, and really defining that this is his favorite church. I know you're not really supposed to have favorite, but show me, show me anywhere else in, in Paul's writings where he defines his love so clearly. He talks about those individually who he loves and he longs for them. He is better because they are near. This is the mentality. And he doesn't say, you know, you're a joy in the Lord or you're a joy to God. He says, you are my joy. You are my personal joy. And, and when the Lord Jesus places that crown on my head, I will remember that you were part of the fabric of my journey. You are my beloved. And beloved is the richest, deepest, and strongest Greek word for love in all of the Bible. And Paul is serious about his affections. And he said, listen, my affectioned people, the ones I love, if I can tell you one thing that is so important for you to know that you might have missed in all of what we've said, know this, you need to stand together because you declare who you are. You finally get to wear that uniform and you wear it with, uh, with joy as we stand together. I don't know what Achan was thinking about in Joshua 7. I mean, that was a people that was called to stand together, but he was thinking about himself, remember? Uh, the, they were told, the nation of Israel was told, you know, take nothing of any of the, the, the nation that you're going to conquer, take nothing. And, and what was his mindset? Oh, it's all about me. And so I'm going to look for whatever pleases me. And so, of course, you know the story that uh, he goes and he takes some of the, the riches of the nation and he buries it in his tent. And, and what happened to that guy? That guy dies, right? That's how significant that departure from togetherness was. It's a big deal for Paul. I mean, we're not talking about the death of Euodia in Sintuke, but he mentions it here, and think about this. This has lasted for 2,000 years. He, he actually draws out and mentions them for everyone forever to know. This is how big of a deal uh, this is to Paul. Staying together means agreement in the Lord. He says, I want you two ladies to get this straight. I want you to appreciate that agreement is essential. You need to agree in the Lord. Now, we have no idea what they were arguing about. Uh, absolutely nothing is given to us here. Uh, we might think because, again, why is Clement's name mentioned here and nobody else among the fellow workers? Maybe this was a, an issue with Clement, right? But these two women had something that had kept them apart. It was destroying not just their relationship, but it was bleeding into the very fabric of the dynamic of the church. They were losing something that they should have had, and it was affecting the gospel. You'll notice how he winds it into the gospel here. It's, you know, they were together with me in the gospel. Paul's mind is focused on the testimony of Christ in the Philippian landscape. And he says, you women... You don't realize this, but you are tearing apart this togetherness. 
We declare our citizenship by standing together. We are unified in Christ. Why are you giving off every indication that this is not the case? Now, I think we have, I think we have pretty good ground to say that if this was something moral, that Paul would have said something in particular about the morality. He, he does that in um, uh, other places, 1 Corinthians um, in particular. If this was a theological issue like salvation, about idols, I mean, we've got the whole issue about eating meat, not eating meat in 1 Corinthians 11 or 8. And um, Galatians chapter 2 talks about some heresies. So we, we figure that this is probably something personal. This is probably something personal. Now, if you... If you're reading this and you're thinking kind of the way I was thinking, I'm thinking, well, what's the big deal? So I don't like you, right? So we don't get along, right? We're Christians. We're in the Lord. But realistically, you know, my hand doesn't have to touch my foot, right? I don't have to have any interaction with you theoretically, right? But Paul says if you're thinking that personal issues are something that we can just let alone and let sit and not affect the church then you've got another thing coming. I think these were well-respected women. I think that Paul had the ability to mention their name and everybody goes, aha, yeah, those women were integral in the gospel. And, and, and he even says they were together with fellow workers and Clement. Their names are in the book of life. They are as significant as, everyone, as, as anyone here in the church. And it just reminds me, you know, how many times... How many times have I had personal issues with people that I'm just not really willing to engage them with? You know, I, I really am not really interested in forgiveness, right? Uh, because let's be honest, uh, we want it to play out as scripted. They need to repent of their sin and come to me and ask for forgiveness. That's the only way this, is dan this dance is going to happen, right? Otherwise, we can be at an impasse forever. I don't really give a rip. Because... I can, I, can, I can nod at you in the hall. I can, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing something that's negative against you, but we can just kind of coexist. My friends, if Christ says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, we certainly aren't enemies, are we? I mean, we're in the Lord after all. And, and furthermore, if we're thinking about the Lord Jesus, he's on the cross and he's looking at those who just put him to death and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Certainly forgiveness needs to be in my, vocab my vocabulary. Uh, by the way, here's something for you parents. Try this on your kids. Kids, try this on your parents. No, don't try it on your parents. Try this on your kids. When forgiveness needs to take place and it doesn't, and we see other behavior, sinful behavior. Ask, ask your kids, what fruit of the Spirit is that? Because I'm missing it. And, and turn in your Bibles to Galatians and look up the fruits of the Spirit and say, when I choose not to forgive somebody, what fruit of the Spirit am I exhibiting? Because if I am reading the Bible rightly and I understand what it means to be a Christian and to live the Christian life, then I need to actively engage in those fruits of the Spirit. That's how I know that I'm in alignment with the Bible. So what fruit is that when I fail to forgive? And we pray, you know, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. What exactly are you talking about? Because you're saying that as Christ has forgiven you, in light of all that he has done, I then should respond by forgiving other people. And yet, this is so hard. Colossians 3, Paul says, As the Lord has forgiven you, if you can confidently 
Put a red pen under the line, been forgiven in your life. So you also must forgive. How many churches have been ruined because relationships are just left to sit stagnant? You might say, well, it's, it's, it's hard. It is hard. It was hard for Peter so much that he asked the Lord, so how many times exactly do I have to do this? And the Lord says, an infinite amount of time, seven times seven. You see, we say this, you know, I can forgive, uh, but I can't forget, really. Or I can't forgive until I forget. The reality is, is that you won't forget until you forgive. Time doesn't heal. That's a lie. Time does not heal. You just bury it. If you ask my Uncle Joe where he buried his 1957 whatever, he can tell you where he buried it. It's not gone. It's still there. You just can't see it. And so many of our relationships, so many of our churches are drastically affected because we are unwilling to forgive. And then the consequences come. Just showering in. Bitterness, this perpetual animosity, that, that this idea of cutting to the heart. We, we're cut and we are hurt and it's unhealed. So there's bitterness that, that seeps in. And then there's wrath, this indignation. All it will take is one simple thing and we're fired up again. And anger, this outburst of anger. We take it out on our wives. We take it out on our kids. And then clamor, we're just restless and we become gossips and we just need to be heard. We want to tell everybody about the injustice that's been done to us. And we slander words that are intended to injure. And then there's malice. All of these things are byproducts. And no wonder, and Paul says in, in Philippians 4, listen, let that all go. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, it's inconsistent with who you have become. It doesn't say what you think it says. You think it says godliness. It doesn't. It says sinfulness. It says earthly. It says, I'm not pressing on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Eudea, Sinsuke, you need to get together. This is not going away. Forgiveness is... Of course, not excusing a person for the sins committed. So the legitimate things. When the, the um, unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, remember him? Goes to, his, to the king. He's got this million dollar debt. The king doesn't examine the elements of where he spent all the king's money. He just chooses to forgive him. Just chooses. This was his response, was forgiveness. And yet this, this jabroni goes and finds a guy who owes him 10 bucks and chokes him, right? This is, this is how weird this is, but this is what we do, right? We're Christians. We have been forgiven a debt we could never pay. An eternity of eternities could never pay for one sin that we committed against the holy God. And yet we're, under, we're, we're unwilling to forgive somebody for $10. This is the idea. And no wonder this... This servant is cast into outer darkness. God has released us from our old debt. When will we release that person from the debt that, we, that they owe against us? You might say, well, that guy owed 10 bucks. But what that person did to me, it's worth way more than 10 bucks. So stop. Stop it. Okay, you're probably right. It's, it's probably worth more than 10 bucks. I, I shouldn't really downgrade that. It's worth a lot. It's significant. But you take that sin... And then you put it on one side of the scale and you put your sins against Jesus on the other side. 
My friends, nothing can compare to the sin that we've committed against God. That is why Paul says you need to agree in the Lord. Agree as those who are in Christ, who have been changed by Christ, who are different. My friends, we declare our citizenship by standing together. Standing together and staying together. Standing together and staying together. And we want to help each other. I think Paul is really, Paul is really good to, to be realistic here. He says, listen, I, I know you need help. I, I know it's hard. So here, I'm going to engage this person that I call true companion. Wouldn't that be cool if you were no, no longer known by your name but by your attribute? Uh, this, this, this person, uh, Suzugos is the Greek word. Uh, that, was, that was the guy's name or girl's name. And, uh, and Paul says, Suzugos, true companion, I want you to come alongside them and help these women. And so we want to acknowledge that staying together re- requires helping each other. We want to be there for each, each other. It's going to be a help to us to be empathetic as much as possible. This word help is really a cool word. Uh, it's found only in Paul's writings, only here. And it's really cool because we see it in other places, um, and, and there's significant places. Like when Jesus was seized by the, the, those who came in the garden to take him, the word is the same word for help. It's, they seized him. They helped him. Kind of an unusual use of the word help. Uh, maybe this, when, when the disciples, when the Lord Jesus multiplied the fishes in the boat, and, and remember the disciples were trying to pull these nets, and they were calling for help because it was an urgent need. This is the same word for help. And so Paul calls Susagos, help these. It's a command word because it's serious. Listen, we're all part of the book of life. The issue is not the actual issue. The issue is our relationship together. That is really what is at stake here. Our relationship. Because you're going to forget what you're arguing about later. But the relationship and your impact in the gospel is affected. We declare our citizenship by standing together and by staying together. But you know, we also declare our citizenship by doing something else. By worshiping together. Worshiping together. By this I mean acting in ways that only those who trust in Christ can actually do. This word rejoice can be kind of a frustrating word. Because although there are good reasons to rejoice. For example in chapter 3, finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord. Uh, it's, it's great that I'm able, it's not trouble for me, it's safe for you to write these things. And there's good reason to be happy that in chapter 1 verse 18 Paul can rejoice. Because even though there were people who were preaching the gospel with different intentions. They were still preaching the gospel. So bravo Zulu, we can preach the gospel. That's awesome, let's rejoice over that. However, Paul breaks the pattern here and he commands that believers do something unusual. He says, I want you to listen very, very carefully. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Only when it's good? Yes, only when it's... No. (laughs) Always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So Paul is saying, listen, there are times... When it is an absolute gong show and your life is a disaster and everything is going wrong, here's what I want you to do. Remedy number one, antidote for anxiety, I want you to worship. I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. I want you to remember what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And I want your worship to rise. Have you ever tried to worship? 
under circumstances that are pressing upon you so heavily that you could just, all you could think to do is sit down and cry? Has life ever been so pressing upon you? Has, has your life been essentially in pieces before you? My friends, the last thing we want to do is to rejoice, but Paul says this is what you need to do. This is your call to rejoice always in the Lord. Paul tells the Philippians that their worship is to be continuous no matter what because joy is not circumstantial. Joy is a choice response of the heart that is solidly confident that God is sovereign. God is worthy. God has everything under control. And if you're going through life and, and you don't see this, then you're going to have, I'm going to have a bit of a train wreck of a life because we're going to be up and down and we're going to think, am I saved? Am I not? Does God love me? Does he not? And all the while, Paul says, it was right here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then we just sigh because we're just, we wonder how much agony we've gone through that we could have bypassed if we had just seen this, to rejoice always. Sometimes in my life, I, I tell you, there are times when it's like the old you know, sitcoms where if we were in the studio audience, they'd hold up the sign, and it's, applause now. You know, cheer now, cry now, laugh now, like, there are times when we just need that kind of prompting. And Paul is saying, I'll give you that prompting. How about worship now? Worship always. Worship me through every circumstance. The repetition in this verse is a reminder that worship is a remedy. And it's a remedy not just for yourself. It is a remedy for the togetherness of what we're talking about. It's a remedy for the disunity that we have. Nothing will help you in your relationship more than worship. But nothing will be hindered more than worship if you remain at a distance with those who you should be in agreement with, who you should be standing with and staying with. Worship seems counterintuitive to our lives. You think about the plasticity of all of our world. Like, listen, when, when we think of joy, what do we think about? We think of parties, right? We manipulate ourselves into thinking that something is joyful, and so we, we add alcohol and we add music and all these things are are plastic ways to make us feel happy about life but when the music stops and the alcohol is over and and the lights go down and you are as miserable as you have always been my friends wearing the uniform being a citizen of heaven gives you the privilege and the joy of worshiping god our joy is not artificial we don't have to manipulate that it is from God. Yes, it might be the last thing we do, we want to do when our world is crumbling around us, but we have to rejoice because we rejoice not in our circumstances. Listen, this is really important. We don't rejoice in our circumstances. We rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice because you and I are the Lord's and because what he has done for us is amazing. And so this is how praise is possible in the midst of yuck. This is praise is possible in the midst of absolute disaster. When your life is falling apart, we need to rejoice. One writer said it is, it's a rejoicing that can be had because it depends not on our changing circumstances, but on the one who does not change. It's a good place for an amen. Can you say amen? Amen, right? I heard that. Even through the mask, I heard that. We need to rejoice. We declare our citizenship by worshiping together with joy. But you know, we also do it with reasonableness. 
reasonableness here gives maybe some people the impression that, oh, okay, so yeah, we rejoice always, but it's only, it's only in reasonable circumstances. It's only when it truly does apply. But this idea of reasonableness is really the idea of graciousness. We rejoice in the Lord because of the grace that we have. We rejoice because we let our reasonableness be known to everyone. When we rejoice in our circumstances, when we're being crushed under the weight of our circumstances, and all we do is rejoice, people look at us and say, wow, what is up with them? I want what she has. I can't wait to find out what he has. Let your reasonableness or the graciousness or your gentleness, how God has changed you, be known to everyone. You say, how is this, how is this possible it's because God has given us confidence. Look at the end of verse 5. Here's the confidence. The Lord is at hand. Now, and it's easy for us to say, well, okay, so the Lord is at hand. That means Jesus is coming. And that, that, that brings great confidence, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we long for the coming of the Lord Jesus. But I think in context here, this, this the Lord is at hand has the idea uh, because of the anxiousness that comes after this, is to know that the Lord is at hand in the sense that he is near. You see, the Lord is at hand. He is with you. And so why are you anxious? Because the Lord is right there. I know, listen, when my kids were young and, and, and things were falling apart in their little lives, it brought them great comfort just because I was there. If I was there and, and, they, and they were going through something and they reached up and they knew I was there and they held my hand, things just seemed to be a whole lot better, Right? Right? Parents, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is within reach. And so Paul says, this is why you don't have to be anxious about anything. You can strive together in the gospel because the Lord is with you. You and I can bridge through every casualty in our life. We can get through it because the Lord is with us. We declare our citizenship by worshiping together. And that includes our reasonableness, our witness to the world. We can do so with great confidence. But you know, we can also do it with joy. We can also do it with joy as well. Not just on proximity, but with joy. Finally, Paul says, listen, he says prayer is essential. I don't know about you, but prayer is always seeming to be the last thing on my list. Is prayer the last thing for you? I mean, we're going through the book now, uh, Praying the Bible. Uh, this is very strategic because we want, we want to know. Uh, and we have come, to, for those who have read the book, come to appreciate that we, our prayer life is far less than what it should be. We want to pray the Bible because we want the words of God to become our words, right? As the book tells us. Prayer is really important because it is that which Paul says, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known to God and that will bring something to us. It'll bring us the peace of God. My friends, what is prayer like in all of this? As we worship to God and we pray and we ask God to have his sovereign will in our lives and our hearts and minds are guarded like a garrison of soldiers and we have that peace that only the Spirit of God can give to the believer. My friends, things change in our perspective. What I do when I'm anxious closes in on me and sometimes the only thing that will help is prayer. When we are able to take God's word and we pray God's word and we lift up our voices in worship, we are what we say we are. We pull our passport, my friends. We pull our citizenship and we say, this is who I am. Look at my uniform. This is who I've become. This is how 
the believer is intended to be successful in our Christian lives. We declare our citizenship by standing and staying and by worshiping together. But you know, that's not it. That's not everything. Finally, in verses 8 and 9, Paul talks about declaring our citizenship by thinking. Who would have thought that by thinking you could declare your citizenship? We do this together as well. We think about these things. Paul says we think about them. That is, we pay close attention or we pay careful consideration. We meditate upon these things in our lives. And he, he gives us six things. He says there's more, but these six things. He says, listen, true, things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. Now, be very careful not to just read this as a suggestion. Paul commands this. This is something that is important for us to see because if we don't see it, then it, it might be, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe for me next year. Paul says, no, this is, you need to think these things. It's, it's that important. Think about these things, verse 8. You know, it really helps me as I was studying this, I thought to myself, you know, what really occupies my thinking impacts my spiritual health. Think about what you're thinking about all the time. Think, think about all of the things that the world presses in upon you. All the, thing that it, all the things that it clamors for you to pay attention to. Look at me, do this, want this, desire this. All of these things. Consistent flooding. The world's vocabulary is all over our lives. And if you think that's not true, ask yourself in times when you are at your lowest spiritually, ask yourself what has changed. And oftentimes, our attitudes have changed. Our attitudes about how important Bible study is, or reading, uh, or praying, or being at church. Think about our friends that are still at home. Think about our lives. Think about all that has happened in the Christian community. Think about how we have changed in the last six months. Now, this is really important because what we realize is that what we think we become. If you devoid yourself of fellowship in the church, what's going to happen? You're not going to want a fellowship anymore. I, I found myself getting to a point when we were doing everything online where I thought, and I'll just be honest, I, I, I could do this forever. I got used to it, right? I kind of liked it. What, what's happening? My habits are being changed. My attitudes are being changed. My thought process, my, my appreciation, what I value is being changed. So my friends, we need to think on things that are godly because if not, we'll be influenced by the world. And our, the whole spectrum of who we become in Christ will be completely different. This is Psalm chapter 1. This is how we do life. If we are consistently engaged in anything other than what it means to be a Christian. And, and I suspect maybe this is what's happened. Maybe, maybe this is what's happened. These two women are busy in the gospel and yet their minds are getting away from the things of God. You and I need to be reminded that we need to think together things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. We need to think the gospel. We need to think the word of God. You know, we don't have it easy because the flesh is still present. Even though God has given us a brand new heart that's responsive to him, praise God for that, we would never seek him without it. And yet the flesh remains seeking constantly to climb back upon the throne of our lives it impacts us. My friends, let's leave the darkness of our understanding to what it was like before Christ saved us. 
Let's leave what it was like to be in the dark, to not see Christ as being worthy, not to seeing sin as damnable, not, ho- not seeing s- holiness as being something that is de- desirable. Let's leave that in the past. Let's allow the windows of the light to, to open and the light of God's grace to shine upon us and let us take the full frontal force of what God has intended for us as believers Let's be renewed in the spirit of our minds, Ephesians 4, 23. It's a purification. We need to be purified because we're being constantly resourced by the world. And before we know what's happened, we'll be like the world. In chapter 3, verse 19, Paul talks about earthly things. The reason why chapter 3, verse 19, again, we're not going to preach that, but verse 19 The mind is set on earthly things, right? We can set our minds on earthly things. And my friends, it can have a devastating effect on us as believers. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. Let's search diligently for him. This is how we grow. This is what it means to be the people that God has made us to be. We declare our citizenship by thinking together. You know, um, one sad byproduct of the whole uh, basic training thing that's going on right now for us at the base is that people can wear the uniform, they can be indoctrinated, and they can, they can hear team, 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 and, and, and we, can, we can lead them to, be, to, to think like a soldier. But sometimes the effect is not positive. Sometimes they still want to go home. They still want to leave this. They, they're not buying into what it means to be a soldier. And so uh, we fail and they leave. It's another reason why we call them recruits and not members until they've actually finished their training. My friends, God has brought us into a family and he's not, he's not contained us into a special group of recruits that are not yet in the family of God and will one day be in the family of God. When we wear the uniform of Christ, when we are Christians We are part of the family. We are card-holding members of the family of God. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king. So am I. We need to remember that our citizenship is different than the world. And so we might think little things are petty, like disagreements between two sisters that mean nothing, that impact nothing, but it does. It impacts everything. Even the way we worship, even the way we interact, even the way we grow. And so finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And what is the result? The result is the God of peace will be with you. You know, I was thinking this week as I close, you know, we have peace with God, right? Right? Romans chapter 6, verse 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because of his work on the cross for us. We will never come under the condemnation or judgment of our own sin, but, but we often do not have the peace of God. That's what we need. We need God's peace to be able for us to relate together, especially in these trying times of disengagement, Right? Let's take every opportunity to be engaged. I'll say this. 
you know, even our meeting on Wednesday, read the books, come out, and we'll talk about the books. I mean, it's about the books, but it's, it's actually more than the books. <laughs> it, it's an excuse to get together. It's a reason to get together. It's a, it, it calls us to be reminded yet again about how much we need each other. We need each other. When are we going to start to realize it's important? Maybe this is our wake-up call. Maybe this is when we'll finally reconcile with the person that we have yet to reconcile with. Maybe this is where God, the God of peace, we really sense, is truly with us. So let's declare our citizenship. Let's be proud about it and say, listen, we're going to stand, we're going to stay, we're going to worship, and we're going to think together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the togetherness of what you have made in Christ. He is our head and we are the body. We are his church. We are the bride and he is the bridegroom. Lord, we are constantly reminded that we have been fused with Christ and we would not want to be any other place now that we have tasted and seen that you are good and we, we know and we have breathed the rarefied air of salvation. We, we love the Lord Jesus but so often we, meet, we need to be reminded that this world has an impact upon us and, and we need to constantly be engaged in being changed. And so, Father, as we gaze into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, as the word of God with Christ as its center is, is presented to us and we pray the words of scripture and we seek to resolve uh, our differences in a scriptural, forgiving manner, we pray, as your word is promised in 2 Corinthians 3, that we will be, become more like the Lord Jesus in progressive ways, in amazing ways, from one degree of glory to the other. Father, it's only a work that you can do. Thank you for bringing this to our eyes. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to be the people of together, for we ask it in Jesus' name.